0: art, comedy, pop culture, and much more. You're listening to ACPN.
1: Emerald City Video, this is Russ. Do you have that one with that guy who was in that movie that was out last year? (sighs) Hello, filthy bastards. Welcome to Year of the Bastard. Uh, I'm Russ Burlingame, and with me is Logan Bretschneider. Hello. And uh, we're going to be spending the the better part of this year talking about Transmetropolitan, the beloved Helix slash Vertigo series by Warren Ellis and Derek Robertson. Yes. Uh, yeah, so we, we wanted to do a, a reread podcast, basically like the rewatch podcast that you see for television shows, except for, you know, in a comic form. Uh, usually we're probably going to be talking about two issues per, I- per episode. In this case, we're doing one largely because it is the first issue, and we're going to be talking a lot about Easter eggs and, and kind of world building and things that won't necessarily figure as heavily into the entire series.
0: Especially since the... I think what we'll come across a lot in the first issue is... The first issue is a little bit of an outlier, compared to the rest of the series with the the possible exception of the last issue so we have a lot more to unpack
1: with it yeah yeah and uh, uh one of the things we talked about kind of off mic that's that'll come up i'm sure but is the first issue of this book feels a lot like a tv pilot in the sense that there there there's a lot of world building and a lot of setup and a lot of really cool ideas that are introduced but in a lot of cases the actual execution is a little clunkier than people who remember Transmet at its best are used to. And I will say, I think it slips into its best pretty quick. There's stuff in issue two that I remember quoting for many, many years afterwards.
0: Yes. uh, A little bit of a spoiler, in my opinion. Issue two has one of the best quotes I've ever heard. Not just in a comic book, but I've just ever heard. Uh... And kind of going off of what russ was saying it is very much a pilot but i would kind of take the other approach and say it does important world building for spiders character but in kind of the context of the world i actually doesn't don't think it does do too much of a great job and that's I, part
1: of it is that there's not much of a world in a global sense in this it's very much the city is is where this book takes place and most of this issue doesn't take place in the city and then the parts of it that do take place in the city are so hurried and harried because by the time he finally gets there you've got to establish everything else and then get moving
0: it does and it isn't again until the end of the book where he actually gives you the first explanation about what's going on Mm -hmm. and it's an important explanation because when you are trying to explain what this is to people yeah It's difficult to do because the easiest thing to say is it is about a gonzo journalist and his adventures slash misadventures on the beat. But there's an important component that if you explain it that way that you're missing that is vastly important is that in that it's set in a far future. Yeah. That if you don't tell people when you pick it up and read, you are going to be very confused because... Especially in issue one, but I would say as the series goes on, they don't really explain that at all, unless well, it's I mean, irrelevant it's,
1: it's, to it, the story. It's intentionally, it's intentionally timeless. Like it, you, you don't get a lot of specific dates. I do think, like when you get to the issue with uh, the the cryo story, the cryo
0: storyline, you can piece together some dates. You based can. On, when it comes to dates, that's not the important part. It's the technology and the references that mm-hmm. they don't explain. And that's actually really an important detail that's missing because there are references that they make that we both read the series. We know what they're referencing and mm-hmm. what, what it is he's talking about. But if you're a new reader, you have no idea what that is. Yeah. Like truly no idea what it is like, um, so, I mean, we might as well just get yeah, into yeah. it. So and, and I actually was timing this he references Maker mm-hmm. which if you've never read the series is essentially a 3D printer but on the principle that instead of just making things out of plastic it literally makes anything right. It. he gives an explanation in the first issue but it's not until the very end of the book where he where they explain what it is but essentially it is a you have a piece of matter it's called a base block it's called a base block but it's basically super dense matter which is think of it as atoms nanomachines literally making whatever it is you tell this machine to make right literally anything yeah and it's like you
1: can put garbage into the base block and it'll transport the transform the garbage into food because it's like doing something on like a like you said there's nanotech involved there's chemistry involved it's it's literally just like transforming Uh, Which is one of the... It's actually a big... It's a big difference because a lot of people who are fans of this book have drawn the 3D printing connection over the last few years as 3D printing has really exploded. Yep. And it's like, yeah, that's not an entirely unfair comparison, but this isn't... This isn't that. No. Like, 3D printing is one small step along the road to potentially one day having a major... Yes,
0: but it gives you a good context for what this thing is. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, when this was written, 3D printing was... Was a thing, but it was not It was not widely available right, exactly. It was talked about, you knew what it was But it was not mass Available like it is today Right. So, again, putting it back in the context He references Maker A bunch before you actually see it And get an explanation for what it is It is a huge part of this world That if you don't understand What that is yeah. You are not going to get a lot of this book Because it is just that big—a big of this world. In and yeah. Russ had mentioned the city. He doesn't. You don't actually see any of this like super technology. And keep in mind, the maker is really kind of the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You don't see any of that until about a quarter of the book has gone by, and it's intentional. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's intentional. Like there are hints with like little words, mm-hmm. but it isn't until after the quarter of the book, and even then, like when he first sees the city and they're mm. talking about it. It looks like a normal city. Like I'll be like okay, yeah, there's a big like um satellite dish. Yeah. It's a toll booth that looks definitely a little bit more modernized. Yeah, the
1: guy has some tech on his body like yeah, he a it's, thing
0: on his neck. But it yeah. but it's definitely not out of the realm of like okay, yeah, that's not good, but as soon as he hits the city and things start going crazy, yeah. It, you're like, "Whoa." And he starts referencing these things that no explanation it just takes for granted that you know what it is, right? Which I I actually like. Uh,
1: I really like. I've always liked that because it it very much is dropping. It's it's the Star Wars thing. Yes, it's like dropping you into the deep end and being like, look, none of the backstory of this shit matters. What matters is that you under like, even if you don't understand what he's talking about, you get a general
0: sense for the context that he's presenting when he's talking about it. I do too. I actually really like it. It does present a barrier, though, for new, new oh, readers. Oh yeah, and
1: especially it, it presents a because this book has become so beloved and so critically yes. acclaimed. It's it, like it, it's getting uh, like the those twelve issue soft cover reprints that DC does, yep. uh, and so you're getting that in the bookstores. And so obviously, then you have the problem of like when it's in bookstores and people don't have like the 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 audience there doesn't necessarily have the same kind of points of reference that comic book fans do. Yep you get a lot of that kind of like, oh, okay, so a super, super casual member of the audience might not necessarily be able to dive in in the way that, that we can. Um, I do think that it's... it's The cyberpunk elements are pretty traditional cyberpunk, and, like, the, the, the future is is fairly, like, it's kind of Blade Runner-y in terms of, like, it's hyper-consumerist, it's uh, hyper-corporatized, and, and, like, it's really just... Part of part of the issue, part of the thing, part of the thing that I always tell people when I'm recommending it is that, like, it's presented as a far-future dystopia, but really it's tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. It's... it's Everything in this book is so close to just being real, with the exception of maybe some of the tech. Um, and even a lot of the tech, like, I, I, I suggest in my notes here that we should keep track of, like, the things that were considered sci-fi tech 20 years ago when they were making this book that are... Mm-hmm actually part of our day-to-day life now because there's actually a fair number of them.
0: Yep, uh, and I'm actually going to try and experiment. So we are reading these issue by issue, which I've never done before. I've always read these as basically complete story arcs. Mm-hmm. So this is, a, this is a trip for me, and I'm, I'm actually enjoying it because I get to see where the issues break. Yeah, how it was presented to the audience. Uh, right, 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 the original audience. But once we're done with each story arc, I'm actually going to give it to two people that have never read this at all, mm. only have heard me talk about it in the context of this podcast, no less. Yeah. So I want to see how far they get with it, if they enjoy it, if they not, if they don't, and if this kind of super sci-fi element mm-hmm. is a barrier or not to them. Yeah. Like, I'm actually kind of excited to see... That's fun. They- I
1: actually... I did something similar. I think I told you about this. When... Um, when Superman, Lois, and Clark was happening, mm-hmm. the story that brought back the pre-Flashpoint Superman to the main DC continuity. Yeah, people, actually. Yeah, oh, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, you were yeah. one of the people I was... Bu- but, but with you, it wasn't so much experimental as it was just, like, I knew that you would like it. Right. But, like, yeah, I, I ended up buying, like, ten copies a month and giving, like, five of them away to people who I was just like, okay, I want to see if you will actually enjoy this. Right. Without... Because, like, one of the big points of conversation at that time was... Well, this is such a this is such an exclusive book or exclusionary book. Right. Because like you need to understand all of this stuff in order to get to it. And in my head I was like, I, I don't think you really need to understand as much as they were as people were worried about. Like I remember one of my first dates with Callie, uh, was the day that Blackest Night number zero had come out, the free comic book day book. Yep. And she like saw it sitting on the table and asked me about it. And I remember like going all the way back to like green lantern 46 and the death of coast city to like explain how we got here and just like realizing about a third of the way in like well now i'm committed to this story but she didn't need to know almost any of this it's just zombies and so i think i think a lot of the time uh Comics appear more exclusive than they are. It's going to be interesting to see how how people react who haven't read it before. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'm I'm very interested, and, and they may read the first story arc and be like, "Yep, this is not for me." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and or they may be like, "I love this. Give me all of them." I'm right. Like, okay, here you go. So I will before we get too much deeper
1: into it, uh, I'll I'll run down a quick plot synopsis of the first issue. Okay. Uh, basically, Spider Jeruz- Spider Jerusalem is a journalist. When we first meet him he's up a goddamn mountain which is the uh the first narrative caption in the comic book is just a shot of his cabin from the outside and it says up a goddamn mountain and he uh answers a phone call from somebody who is essentially demanding that he come back into the city and abandon his country life to uh write books that he was contracted to write uh and paid for several years ago five years ago and uh that uh if he doesn't, they're going to sue him into debtor's prison, basically. And so he packs up his life, leaves his uh, uh, various booby traps in in his cabin, and gets into a crappy old car to go into the city and write these books. And he he describes the city at the beginning of the book, and this is kind of relevant by the end, as the only place I hate more than this, uh, which both speaks to like what a malcontent spider is in general. And also to the relationship that he has specifically with the city, uh, which, because the city is New York in most ways, uh, is is an important relationship, especially because DC was headquartered in New York at the time, and kind of everybody in comics gravitated around there. Uh, so Spider goes into the city. He basically, uh, about about a couple of miles out, he all of his like machines, his professional machines kick to life on their own and start buzzing and making noise and he's recording notes for something which he can't decide if it's going to be a book or a travelogue or a column or what and he he goes through a toll booth to go into the city and the guy's a dick to him and so he he basically berates this toll booth attendant and tells him he'll be back for him and then uh gets to the city. Uh, gets stuck in a traffic jam, abandons all of his earthly possessions to walk across other people's cars, and then uh, go. the city is, is, as we said, kind of hyper-dense, hyper-corporatized. There's advertising at every square inch of the place. And he goes to The Word, which is a newspaper or a news organization anyway that he previously had worked for. He's looking for his old writing buddy, Royce, who is now the editor, and he essentially cons Royce into giving him a job and a paid apartment um <clears throat> and uh the the issue ends with him going to that apartment getting uh he, he he had the like mountain man like giant hair and beard and everything and he had to go get that uh scrubbed away by his home like shower machine and uh it, it shaved every inch of him and so the look that he has for the rest of the book is bald uh and uh it ends with him essentially setting up to be a journalist in the city and finding out that an old source of his is in the middle of what will be a big news story over the next couple of issues. Uh, So without getting too deep into the weeds, that's the basic plot synopsis for the first issue. And uh, I think one of the things we talked about that is really interesting is like A lot of stuff that seems important in this issue never comes back up again. But then a lot of things that seem like it's background noise, like literal background noise in terms of headlines, pictures on the wall, stuff like that, turn out to be incredibly important to the series going forward.
0: Or at the very least, reoccurring themes or background characters that represent so much more than just background advertisement background corporate uh, things. And... What Russ had said is, I think, is correct in that there are things that definitely seem important, and they are as far as the character's motivations mm-hmm. and background, but are almost either never talked about again or just briefly touched upon. It's yeah. just to kind of remind you, yes, this is the character's motivation. Right. I mean, the, the mountain slash cabin in and of itself, which is the first word and picture in the entire graphic novel is exactly what I think everybody can imagine it to be is spider's oasis from the one place that he hates more than where he currently is. Yeah. It's, it is the one place he worked five years to get to. It is, I mean, like Russ had mentioned in the synopsis, he's there, but he's not just there. He's there in like the most feral, state yeah. possible. And
1: and a lot of it boils down to
0: the the future of
1: transmetropolitan is one that we're starting to see fully realized right now, yep. which is where everybody's online all the time. Everything you do, everything you say is is not necessarily monitored in an overtly sinister way, but like everything that you say and do, your phone knows what you're doing and therefore corporate America knows what you're doing, and you're being directly advertised to based on shit you say. And, like, everything in the city is, like, a slightly heightened version. And it's, like, 20 years ago it was a very heightened version of America. Now it's a slightly heightened version of America. Yep. And uh, and Spider is in the country to be, as the kids say, extremely offline. Like, he's he's not just in the country because it's the country. He's in the country because he wants to be like an animal he wants to be like or at least fully human.
0: He doesn't want to be plugged into things. Yep. And one of the things once he decides and I am jumping ahead a little right. bit, but but one of the things that he needs to do to be a journalist because he keeps mentioning it like and it's and really the first issue is a transition, not just a transition which ties into the first story arc. It's a transition of spider from his place of Nevada, mountain man, Harry, to a journalist working man again. And it's not just a physical appearance. It's also an emotional one because he needs to be in the city to write and be a journalist. Yeah. He can't do it from his place of bliss. But he also needs what is referred to in the book as health drugs, but are... What's called jumpstart, which we can only assume is like a hyper version of caffeine. Yeah, it's it's um, a stimulant. It's stimulant. Um, they call them intelligent enhancers, um, ginkgo bacola, like all these things that the literally the drug pusher that he is asking them for. Yeah. Goes, what are you, a health nut?
1: Yeah. And he goes, no,
0: I'm a, I'm a working man. Like yeah. I need these things. Yeah,
1: so. and and. Uh... Kind of to put a, a, a real fine point on like what you're saying about the city and the idea that he has to like he has to be there to work um, he
0: really has to transform to work yeah into into, into this and, uh, and, and 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 I'm sorry to kind yeah. of interrupt on it but and we'll get into it but a lot of the things that he says and does, from the moment he starts to move to the city mm-hmm. you can kind of see his transition which yeah uh, we'll get into in a little bit but well yeah. and if,
1: if you've ever lived in new york which i logan and i lived yeah. in outside yeah. of new york i lived actually in yeah. manhattan uh spider's relationship with the city which is just cap all caps the city because they don't ever name it uh, but his relationship with the city is the relationship every new yorker has with new york city which is essentially like I fucking despise this place, but it's the only place that I can imagine myself living. Uh, every New Yorker I know who doesn't have enough money to either relocate or to be comfortable there, that's their relationship with the city. Uh, and so I think that that's... One of the things that's really interesting about this issue is that by the end of it, you get to the point where he's in, like he's openly admitting kind of like, ah, I'm home, uh, which is... The direct counterpoint to the it's the only place I hate more than this, yep. uh, and and the thing of it is that as much as Spider wants to go off and be feral, at the end of the day, like the city is where he
0: actually is himself. And that's I think that's an interesting point. Is it because he only says that after he's transformed and has gotten his armor, mm-hmm. his eyes slash shades, yeah. cleaned up, gotten his job and all of the drugs in his system, and has gotten the direction of his first column. He mm-hmm. doesn't say it until after he's like, right. I know what I want to write my first column on. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think you're right, yes, in that he has finally fully transformed in, in, into... The yeah, character we the, follow. The, the the, right, and, and yes, he is home, but I would almost argue that yeah it's the character we're following and that character is home right. but he wants to go back to who he oh, yeah, was absolutely. when we first saw him in that and that, that's who he wants to be.
1: I, I do think that like at the end of the day Spider has two different kind of versions of himself. Yes. There's who he wants to be and then there's who he is naturally. Yes, I think that he tries to force himself to be the guy in the mountain because like it's where he's mentally well. Mm-hmm. Like I think that one of the things that we see now With everybody being bombarded with information all the time, is that a lot of everyday Americans are becoming Spider Jerusalem? Like you, you get to the point where you're just constantly bombarded by horrible shit, and you want to drop out, and you don't want. Like I think that's that's Spider. Like, and again, that that wasn't so much a common thing in society 20 years ago, Um, and I think Spider was just ahead of that curve. I think that what we're seeing is is that Spider is a person who like he functions best. As the version that we know in the book, uh, in terms of like, this is what he's good at, this is what he's better at than anybody else, but it's not what makes him happy, and that what makes him happy is what he's chasing and what he wants to yep. get back to.
0: Which is that mountain.: Yeah.
1: Um, I will say before we get too, again too far into what mm-hmm. is now already a 25-minute podcast, I' say too late. Um, uh, The very first thing that is in my notes is that I do like the covers to these first couple of issues uh jeff darrow who did a lot of design work on the matrix and did like uh big guy and rusty the boy robot and stuff uh did these covers and or at least i'm pretty sure it's him it's either him or still freeze the, the faces look anyways i'm I'm 99 percent sure it's darrow but he did these covers instead of Derek robertson who's the co-creator of transmet and the artist of the book and it's like i do like the images they're very striking and i can see why they were chosen to be Covers of a book that you wanted to get people to take notice of, but I also think that, like, it's weird how much DC chooses to highlight people who are not Derek on the cover of not just the book, but the collected editions too. Eventually, like, you would get a lot of like, there was a Jay Lee cover and a J. Scott Campbell cover that both got used as front or back covers. Well, <laughs> just,
0: yeah, and I was gonna say the graphic novels just recycled issue covers, yeah, mostly. Uh, there's actually the the one
1: of the more recent prints of uh, Back on the Street is actually um, it's a it's, I think it's a new image Derek created for mm. for the, cause the one of the one of the more, more recent trade covers is actually a cover by Derek that was I don't think an issue of the comic it says Spider um, as the Statue of Liberty there's some variation on that um, and then also the the one that I have buried back there somewhere is uh, the first printing of the tr- of the trade paperback as far as I know which actually just takes a panel from one of the last pages and blows it up it's
0: the panel where he's lighting his cigarette yep I have that one as well and that one I know is one of the first printings at the fair least because it is before it was numbered yeah. because they started to num- uh, they started to number them about halfway through the graphic novel process yeah, exactly Yep, and then y-
1: you don't even have uniformity to the numbers anymore nope. because like the first trade they released was, like, four issues or something. It was very small. And so eventually they ended up folding the first two into one book and then making it, yeah. yeah. And so then you get this thing where it's like, oh, if you bought the first run of trade paperbacks, I think there's ten of them, and then after that there's nine or eleven and ten, something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's um, all over the
0: place. Yeah,
1: but I just, it's, it's a thing that always, like, it's, it's, it's odd to me how often we get, like, a lot of the most famous imagery from TransMet Because like it's a comic, and a lot of people pull the imagery from covers. Yeah, is not actually from Derek, just because DC chose to like use other artists on the covers so often.
0: And what's funny about that too is you don't see it in the first handful of issues, but as the series goes on, the covers start to have less and less um, relevance, uh, relevance or or correlation to the actual story of what's going on. Because you could tell that it's this is popular. Oh, we okay. Yeah. Yes, we're we're just going to pull in the, the most popular or the most visually striking images.
1: Yeah. And and also I think that what happened was that it was it was a book that was a critical darling. It wasn't a huge seller. Exactly. And so you had a lot of creators who were like, "Hey, if you ever need a fill-in, mm-hmm. like I'd be happy, I'd love to work on Transmet." And meanwhile, like they never did have a fill-in, but they used that, I think, as an opportunity to be like, oh, but, like, fucking J. Scott Campbell can draw Spider? Yes, let's get him on a cover. You know, because he was selling at the time, and, like, Transmet was not a huge seller, and this was before the boys, so I don't think it was generally accepted that Derek Robertson was
0: like, Derek Robertson. Right. And... And it wasn't until late into the book's run that they did do a (laughs) compilation issue, while it was still... they did a couple of... It was, right, it was still... uh, Robinson and um, Warren Ellis. Warren Ellis Warren writing
1: Ro- like it was. It was basically like he would write a blurb, and then some. And it, they would use the blurb and incorporate it into a piece of art. Right.
0: Uh, but, um, but it was well after the that the kid had struck. Yeah, that was well after,
1: and that was that was late enough in the game that they went the opposite way. Right. Like the the whole book was filled with images by other people, and then Derek would provide a cover. Right. So that it still looked like a transmet book. Um. And that was, I think, I. Think I'm not positive I think that was like one of those things that they did towards the end to mask the fact that the book was running late it's like oh but we can have like basically what amounts to a poster book and it gives you an extra month to uh, you know get everything to prep to prep the issue Um, I actually I tweeted about this and some not only like in in my notes it says I'll have to look back at the physical issue but I don't have to look back anymore because people told me I'm right Uh, the digital copies the colors are a lot more washed out like i remember the colors being a lot more striking and a lot more almost garish in the the print copies so if you're picking this up in trade paperback versus if you're picking it up in digital it is a different reading experience uh especially when he's in the mountain because like everything is like everything around him is kind of naturalistic there and so those first few pages like the brightness of the colors really shape the way that the art looks in number one because like otherwise it could look and it kind of does in the digital version
0: like any other book set in the country Oh uh, see that's um, a shame because I, I I think it was done on purpose at least yeah I'm and, sure if, and, and if it wasn't uh, the, kudos to them but it is absolutely this again the whole theme of the first arc is absolutely. Transition mm-hmm. because the first again quarter to half the book is this bright vibrant Catskill esque mountain and then you get to this dull gringy you know over dense city and, yeah. and the colors absolutely complement that and yeah. and that's a shame it's, it it's not as visually striking in the digital version as it is in the print version yeah and it's it's also kind of interesting because of course this is
1: this is one of the first comics that i i distinctly like everybody had tablets and this was before tablets were really a thing so to speak oh yeah and and so like in the book it's like you know spider jerusalem would be reading the digital copy yeah uh and and (laughs) not getting the same punch out of the colors um But yeah, so that's something I wanted to point out, just because if you're reading it digitally, at least you should pick up and flip through a couple of physical issues of the book or a a trade paperback. Uh, It is, at least as far as these first couple of issues, very different reading experience for me, personally. Um, I, I think a lot of people who don't pay as much attention as I do to colors might not care as much, which is probably why they did it. It's also distinctly possible, because I know this was a thing for a while, that like, it's just a question of the kind of paper that they print on, and that this is actually the same technical color palette, it's just that when it's printed versus when it's on the screen, it looks different, it presents differently. Um, I I was told uh, when they did the John Byrne Superman, The Man of Steel, like, archives, there's like seven volumes of his entire time on the Superman books, and I was told by somebody that they didn't go through and digitally alter any of that, but if you look at the digital copies that are available on Comixology or on DC Universe they look very different. And I was told that's just because it's like, it's different when it's printing on different paper. Um, but that said, uh, other people on Twitter agreed with me, uh,
0: they, they, they could that, see that they could see
1: a, a, a big difference. Uh, there's one guy, John, I can't remember his last name, who started following the podcast today. Uh, and, uh, he, he was the first person to respond to me and, uh, said that he's like, he's doing a, uh, like a book club where they're looking at Transmet right now oh that's awesome and so he he was like independent of us <laughs> having that same observation for a different group of people we will be listening to this although i'm sure there's probably one or two people who will overlap <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh yeah and i will say uh, ignoring like the colors themselves like those first few pages are so packed with little Easter and the whole first the issue whole, is packed. The whole, the whole, the whole issue like... is, and really the whole book is packed. Like uh,
0: it, it, when we get to number fourteen, is.
1: I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna try to have uh, Steve Chung on on the show, who is uh, uh, he's we follow each other on Twitter. Back in Transmet fourteen was the first instance of a piece of graffiti that says "Free Steve Chung." <laughs> I don't know the story behind it, but I remember noticing it because Derek used to put it in all the time, and. Steve, like to this day, has uh, a Transmet like profile picture on Twitter, and his Twitter bio is like, "Thanks to Derek Robertson for starting the free Steve Chung movement." <laughs> and so, whatever that is, I'm gonna
0: I'm gonna try to get that's him on the awesome. show, and,
1: and we can find out.
0: Uh, you are right that the, there is talk about <laughs> dense material. There are so many little little tiny things, easter eggs, yeah. just like.
1: And that's why I printed off like a page of notes, most of which is just like. A list of cool crap that I wanted to notice, because oh, I'm like, I'll forget 90% of this.
0: I, oh, Taking a cue out of your book, I'm probably going to start doing the same thing mm-hmm. now, just like, ooh, ooh, that's interesting, that's neat. Yeah. Um, uh,
1: some some of the things I, I took notes of, because I, this is, like, one of the big things about this book, and one of the things you'll see, is that it's in, it's intensely quotable, and that goes through the whole lifetime yep. of the book. Um, but, uh, uh, I remember being in my twenties and writing "Buy more bullets" on bills uh, that I was gonna, you know, obviously spend and hand out to others because that was hilarious to me. Like the idea of just him having a random note, five dollar bill that that's the note he
0: put on it. Um, do you and the, kind of random segue? Speaking of notes, do you know what the ten times ten or uh, times ten times? on the back i don't know what means. that's about now it looks like it's significant but i never i've could always kind of half wondered that yeah. that's a thing
1: that we should write down to ask derek because uh it, I, it, it, it really is one of those like i notice it every time yeah i do too because
0: uh, well i mean how can you miss it
1: yeah and and what what we're talking about is a piece of essentially graffiti on the wall at the cabin in the woods that just says 10 times 10 times 10 times 10 and it's in like sloppy like graffiti paint and i or blood or or, yeah possibly could be blood uh one of the things that that to me i had always kind of half assumed it's just because like he's crazy yeah he's like he's
0: he's he's totally non-socialized at this point well the second line is back on the mountain I was having a mildly paranoid day. Yeah, because the old lady down the way what? was nailing squirrels to the doorstep again, yep. or something.
1: Uh, which, again, is like one of those Affordable. examples of like a thing that
0: never, uh, but never it, pays off it, per se. It, it uh, doesn't, but, but it is relatable. Like that's it's crazy, absolutely oh yeah. crazy. But we all have context for that. Like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, like, yeah, nobody sane would do that. But in the in the context of the world, you're like. Okay, yeah, that's totally crazy, but, yeah, in, yeah, in, the, in the context of the world, well, we could and also, see people doing that.
1: Immediately, when you see him and he's, like, this crazed mountain man, yes. it's like, no, it makes sense that, like, the person he has a grudge with would be some crazy lady who nails squirrels to things. Exactly. Of
0: yeah, of course.
1: But... It's basically he has a, a grudge match going with Ma, or with a granny like, from the Beverly Hillbillies.
0: Right, or... Um, But I would say the next three pages, like the third page in, he does make a reference to something called the Ebola bomb, which is the first inkling you have of like, what? Yeah. Wait, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, what? And in, in this case, the Ebola bomb is something that's under his toilet as a security measure to prevent people from going to his house. Yes,
0: and it's never ever explained in the context of the comic book, but it... Basically, seems like the Ebola virus is a common thing, and yeah. that it's just it's just just a normal thing people deal I, with I do every that, day.
1: I, I, I do think that at some point we're supposed to assume that the Ebola virus had some kind of major outbreak or became a major pop culture something. Yeah, because like Ebola cola is
0: the Pepsi in this com- in this world. Yep, um, and it is a flesh eating bacteria virus. Yeah, that yeah. you drink because exactly. the commercial literally has a woman pouring it over herself, and when you see her next, half of her face has been melted off. Yes why not uh, so, so yeah you go you go from that one little kernel of like hey wait what yeah to like and that and to be fair that's like probably uh, maybe ten issues in is when you see that advertisement yeah, so. but it's just like whoa that would that escalated quickly yeah, yeah but that that's again where that where you get that kind of like wow okay that's unless your brain is kind of geared toward that that's gonna be yeah. one of those things like what what? Yeah, what just what what just happened there?
1: Uh, other other little details before we kind of carry on oh, yeah, into right. that. Um, the gun. He gets the phone call. He starts pointing his gun at at the phone, uh, and then the other person hangs up before he can actually shoot it. But the gun is uh, very clearly Han Solo's gun. Yes. Except that it's been modified so that the sight, uh, instead of being on top, is slightly off to the side and shaped like a Green Lantern logo. Um, oh, I
0: never caught the Green Lantern logo. It's
1: hard to catch in the first scene because the gun is black. There's another scene later on when he's in Royce's office yeah, where, yeah. where it's colored red. Yep. And when he points the gun at, like, at, essentially at the reader, you can see that it's shaped like a Green Lantern logo.
0: Um, Going off that scene, so the person who calls him is his former editor, not Royce, right? Uh, who he calls the horror horror hopper. hopper. I don't know if you caught this, but in the credits of the... Issue of the Transmetropolitan issue, yeah. they refer to the editor of this book, Transmetropolitan, as the Horhopper. Nice. This issue only; they did not do it in issue two, but they yeah. did do it in issue one. Well, I'm sure too, because like part of it is. But again, there's no context there. I can it's never, just Hopper.
1: I can never remember whether um, whether we get a name for the Whorehopper. I don't think we do. No, we don't.
0: Um, On purpose. Yeah, yeah,
1: because that, that that is a common yeah. thing in here. You, we do eventually learn the real name of the Smiler. Who is one of the other people who we get down the line? Who, because it's Gary Callahan. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, I but mean, you uh, can't not know. I, th- I mean. But but like, but there are a bunch of characters in this book that just like they have a nickname that Spider saddles them with, and it sticks with them forever. Yep. And like, there's a there's a president, the 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 president of the of the United States at the beginning of this book is is a guy who we refer to as the Beast, and the Beast is, uh what his children call him now um, based on what based Spider based on wrote. things Spider has written yeah. and so I think that, that the idea of calling him the hopper and calling him the, the President of the Beast and not really having other names is intentional because oh, it's yeah. like well this is the effect that Spider has on people yes. Like he, re, he redefines and recontextualizes their entire lives
0: yes which uh, uh, again becomes a theme throughout the entire book yeah um
1: going back to the the easter eggs and things uh his car has a bumper sticker that says Jesus is my best friend but he won't loan me money and to this day I want to put that on a t-shirt uh it just it would amuse me um as he's driving from the country to the city we actually get a few pages of driving which is obviously not normal like most of the time in entertainment unless the drive is the story you just kind of like get in the car and then you're there uh we, we see him blow up a bar, which is Moore's Tavern or Moore's Bar. Uh, um, it is just... Or no, it's, it's just it's bar. Kind of the just Moore's is bar. The, the brand of the beer that's yeah. advertised in the... Moore Beer. But like, more Beer, aside from just being a play on more Beer, uh, is obviously, or at least I think obviously, a nod to Alan Moore, the guy who wrote Watchmen and a lot of other great comics, who Spider kind of famously mm. looks like in yes. his Mountain Man
0: version. Which lends something which and I've wondered this is that a respect thing of the man coming down from the mountain to save us from ourselves kind of thing or is it just kind of a oh man here's the here's the crazy nutter coming down from the mountain kind of thing and he's going to wag his finger at us like I never, I didn't I, know what direction he was taking that with.
1: I feel like it's a respect thing because I I, I don't know what the relationship is between Warren Ellis and Alan Moore but I, I don't know of them having a conflict that said, there's been a lot made of the fact that supposedly Alan Moore and Grant Morrison don't get along, so the fact that at the beginning of this issue he looks like Alan Moore and by the end he's transformed into Grant Morrison and he's treated like he's more of a sane person um, that has been taken by some to be a dig at more I don't know that that is I don't know that I believe that was intentional um but that's again a thing that I might be able to like ask Derek if he we're, we're gonna Derek has told us that he'll be happy to come on the show occasionally and so I'm, I'm trying to build up a like a battery of questions that like we can't quite resolve without
0: help right to be like and and I want, I want... I'd never taken it as an insult. No, me um, either, really. But again, but it was—it's some just something people... that going back and it was like, huh, I wonder if this—if this had deeper meaning or not. Yeah. Um.
1: The as he's on his way to the bar, though, uh, one of the notes I have here is: for the first time in five years, there's nothing menacing in my garden, and garden is a word that americans use and so i i don't know that people necessarily would have realized that this is like a britishism creeping through because ellis is i think irish uh he's he's definitely from the uk um but i i do think that in the context of knowing he's from the uk and that that's what they call their yards um that in all likelihood he's not talking about a literal garden like where you plant things because i don't think that spider necessarily would have one uh in it, it's hard to say because obviously like he's trying to be in touch with nature up there but it seems like he's not quite together enough to have a competent garden
0: <laughs> there's also foreshadowing there which how's how so? last issue oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's i forgot um, but again but i don't know that's, that's yeah good point. well that's that's uh, there's yeah,
1: that's yeah. what literally my next note is that um he, when he gets disrespected by the the toll booth guy and he tells him i'll be back uh, or re- really he says I'll be back for you shit eyes um, I have to wonder whether or no this is actually earlier he said he says I'll be back when he's looking wistfully at the at the, mount- yeah, at because the mountain because I've
0: worked too hard not to be yeah I've to worked be. too hard
1: not to be and I, I, I really do wonder like there is and I'm we're gonna spoil stuff in this it's a reread podcast it's hard to pretend we don't know things but there is a like there is a question towards the end as to whether or not he'll ever make it back to the
0: mountain and i think that like or at least and and just to kind of go off that maybe not physically make it back but right. mentally yeah, exactly. make it back to and and
1: i wonder if that was if this was setting up like if they already knew how the book was going to end and that the, the line that he's going to be back is setting up that final question mark and setting up the stakes of that last arc um, whether or not you knew how that arc was going to play out one way or the other I wonder if like that's an intentional like we know how this is going to end and so this is the statement we're making in the first issue mm-hmm. um, certainly it's his statement of purpose because again the whole book is about him um, and it's funny because other things transpire in the first couple of arcs that changed the trajectory of Spider's life and he essentially chooses to stay in the city longer than he might otherwise have had to because uh, he has other things that he has to do, but because uh, I think that like no, you're right. it, there there's a version of this where the election plays out differently, and he writes two books in a year and goes he home. Said, yeah. um, I, I I think that the the version of the story we got is like a this is that timeline,
0: but uh, but I want to I want to touch upon that when yeah, when yeah when you're when you're done because I I don't I think. With the things that they set up mm-hmm. in this issue, I don't think he ever could have done that. Yeah. Even yeah. Um, even, yeah. But yeah, well, why is that? Because well, I I'm really yeah. So so the reason why I don't think so. He says a line to the toll booth operator mm-hmm. that says, "You are really the reason." I left. Well, you know, yeah, I, yeah, I basically. left. Basically, uh, uh, I forget it's... the exact words, but he basically is telling him a a person with no real power but has perceived power and yeah. is exercising it uh, towards somebody who won't say anything because they just want to get along, get on with their day. Yeah. But Spider isn't that person. Spider is the is the type of person that will always always stand up and say, "No, you have no power. Sit the fuck down." Yeah. Like, "Shut up." Like, "No. Get get out of my head." Or never get out of yeah. my get, get out of my way. Like, just shut up. Yeah. And because of that, like and I think that's an intrinsic need that he yeah. cannot stop doing that that even if it went the other way where the, the beast stayed in power, I don't think he could have stopped. Like, I think uh, that's why he wrote uh, Waving and drow- Or Shot in the Face. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's because he couldn't let that go.
1: And I don't I don't even necessarily think that, like, it's a question of who wins the election so much as I think that it was... I, what I was saying was a question of, like, there's a version where, like, some of the things, some of the unjust things that happen don't happen and therefore don't need to be remedied. Right. And, like, I do think that, like... I think he's able to compartmentalize. I think that Spider understands that the world's a shit show, And that, like, really it's only the things that are presented... Like, it's the things that come up in his way that he feels the need to oh, yeah. eradicate. I think that, like, it could have gone a little differently and, like, things... Like, obstacles not thrown up in his path and he would have just been like, okay, fuck it, like, you guys are on your own. But I do agree with you that, like, to a great extent, like, it would be... And, and I, I think there's an argument to be had as to whether... It's ever plausible to think that could happen versus like no, once he's
0: in the city, it's gonna happen. Um, yeah, well, especially in issue two, which we'll yeah. get to in issue two, because yeah. yeah. there's a moment where <laughs> it, you're like, "Hmm, you did not have to do that."
1: Yeah, but you did. Yeah. Um, which again, I think I think a big part of that is taking ownership of this issue and the fact that he's such a malcontent and the fact that he's like
0: he is a hard character to. Well, he's not, and that's the point.
1: Yeah, well, and that's he's he's. In this issue, he's presented as somebody who's not really relatable right. because, like, he's so miserable. Like, he literally, like, on his way out of town, blows up the bar, and his explanation for that action is,
0: "If I'm miserable, everybody's miserable," um, which is his character in a nutshell. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, surface level, because he is like any great literary character; they have way more dimensions yeah. than that. <laughs> But that really is his character. Yeah, he, well, and, He's just a miserable bastard, and he cannot but, stop being one. But being a bastard works. And that's the point.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and I will say, too, <clears throat> uh, looking back at Spider, it's hard to not notice that, like, this kind of archetype... He's a lot of fun in this context, but, like, obviously this kind of archetype has been bleeding over into our popular culture more and more in terms of like angry white guy assholes who become really problematic in the real world uh, so it's it's like I it would be interesting to see if they ever tried to do like a sequel or a prequel or something to transmet like how you would adjust Spider so that he didn't come off like you know Arthur Fleck uh,
0: well and that's and there's some interesting things about his character and so at least on, on this reread Mm-hmm. So who does he actually So he only physically assaults one person. Yeah. He insults the Tollbooth character. He doesn't physically assault him yet. Although he does he he
1: technically assaults at least two people because he also clubs the drug dealer on the ear when he's not listening
0: to uh, yeah but now but, but now, i was gonna say you can make a scheme of spiders well assault. not just that you can make an argument because it is super unclear how hard he hit him That's like it, it, it the way it's played in the book i would make an comedy, argument yeah. not just comedy but it's just kind of like a cuff on the head like you moron yeah like like a not a hard slap at all Mm-hmm. so at least that's what I'm taking it at right. now, and that is absolutely going to be down to who reads it and how they interpret yeah. it but the one he insults is the receptionist and the receptionist is a dick to him Yeah. no if ands or buts literally takes a look at him which you see off camera or which you don't even see it's, it's right. off panel and pretty much it is dismissive and it's like yeah go away you're not going to get what you want he yeah. doesn't even listen to him just is like nope you, you went somewhere else get out of here yeah it is a fantasy to do what Spider did yeah 100% was he right to do it no and I don't think anybody on the face of the planet is going to say to you be like yeah that was the way to handle that yeah in the context of the world in the context of who he is who he, uh, yeah. who he is I don't think that needed changing in terms of like if you were adjusting it for modern right. day like sensibilities um, the only other thing he does is he does drop either tear gas or smoke grenade in the in the yeah am not sure with but again even not lethal
1: that it's it's non-lethal but even like that i think is less uh i agree like i think that's less problematic in in yes. like in the parlance. no than... i
0: i would actually i think that would be a, not necessarily a fun thing to do but it would be a thing to do to keep track of his like okay his felonies <laughs> yeah his felonies slash okay like would would you want to update this or not now like yeah. full disclosure I am a white guy, so it's like, okay, am I going to see the problems with this? Maybe not. And right. Full disclosure, I don't find that egregious, especially in the context of how it was, what the book is trying to set up, yeah. and who the character is. Um, as far as my knowledge in re-remembering the series, he never, really, never sexually assaults anybody. Nah. And in fact, goes out of his way... To kind of avoid that whole aspect like
1: yeah i mean there's a there's a drunken hookup but they're both very drunk and i so like there's that there's that element of like but yeah that we're getting ahead of ourselves we, so we, we don't, are, you don't um, want to go down too far down the no but of,
0: there's other and anything that he does again as assault is it's never as in the context of, be, of bullying it's ne- it's always in the context of like you are just a dick and are just yeah. being unreasonable now again he always escalates it to the point where like okay you just yeah. escalated it way beyond the point where that needed to be right
1: and i think part that's part of the humor and that's part of the reason that it still holds up yes is because he escalates it to the point of absurdity immediately yes like there's never a time when he's gonna like stop and push somebody it's like no like it you, we don't push somebody we don't hit somebody we like drop a hand grenade Yes. Like, that's, you know, so... No, and that's true. He lives a Looney Tunes existence, and so a lot of the time, like, hitting somebody with a
0: hammer is not
1: an unreasonable, like, act for
0: him. Right. Right. And, again, as far as the context of the world, that may be appropriate. Like, that's... It's a little unclear. I mean, again, we're looking at it from the lens of the 21st century.
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of this, too. Like, again, I, I kind of just mention in passing, like... There's a lot of problematic white dudes who would look at guy like this oh, yes. and like say he's my hero.
0: Exactly, um, in the wrong in the wrong kind. Right, exactly. Um, but anybody who does that, I would say, misses the point of him.
1: Right, and they were already probably a piece of shit anyway, which yes. is always like that's the hard part of this argument is like it's even the Joker thing, which I did not like as much as other people did, but like it's like Stop. the people who are going to misappropriate that movie's message were probably shitty people anyway, who just like yeah, latching onto a billion dollar movie and saying like this is my new thing like sucks but like they would have just latched on something else anyway that's a whole other um, podcast <laughs> um, so the the couple of couple of quick things that I noticed in that scene too first of all in the the panel where he's saying, "If I'm miserable, everybody's miserable," there's a squirrel running directly under the tire of his car that I've, I that. I know that I had noticed before, but it had been a long time since I had like taken the time to really pay attention to that. I'm gonna go back to and that because I missed um,
0: that completely.
1: Also, his vanity plate is S P Y D E R, like the car, which is actually a car, but I don't think it was at this time. I think that was a model that existed later. I'm not positive because i'm not a car guy
0: Um, i'd be interested to do some research on
1: uh but in any event obviously he's not driving a spider it's just that's his vanity plate because his name is spider um and then a note that i had here which actually like we kind of briefly touched on is i'm kind of surprised that we've never heard like in the last however many years we've constantly there's constantly been like it's gonna be a movie it's gonna be a tv show it's gonna be this it's gonna be that and it's never really panned out um I'm really surprised we've never heard any kind of discussion about like, oh no, they're going to make a like a prequel comic that deals with like the writing of shot in the face. Like it, honestly, that would be the thing to do in an election year. That would be the thing to do now.
0: It would. Oh. I'm makes sense why they wouldn't do it. I, I personally I want the other one. Which one? The Word of Verbal's. Oh, or the yeah, War yeah. of Verbal's. Yeah. Sorry.
1: Which, again, that felt a little bit like... Like, when we get that flashback to that later on, where Spider has hair and everything, it did kind of feel like a backdoor pilot. It almost felt like yeah. we were going to get more of that, and then we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, uh, another note I have here, I never realized that the sex puppets make a cameo in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's a calendar in the... And, I mean, obviously, I always noticed the calendar, but I think that, like, it it didn't click with me that, like, holy shit, the sex puppets are in the first issue. Um, I... I've had been i talked about this a little bit with people, uh, I'm doing, at the same time as we're launching Year of the Bastard, I'm launching another show uh, which is going to be called Sex and Violence, and it's about the Muppets uh, and Jim Henson, and the reason it's called Sex and Violence is because that was actually the name of the second Muppet Show pilot. Uh, the third pilot is the one that eventually got to be a show, but uh, Jim Henson thought it was hilarious to have a, a show called Sex and Violence, which is a Muppet Show. Um, but so uh, I'm I'm doing a show called Sex and Violence which is talking about uh, like looking back at the Muppet projects and one of the reasons I'm doing that is because I anticipate that getting deep into the weeds on Transmet in an election year in this the darkest timeline is going to be incredibly depressing and that the Muppets will help lift me out of it Uh, so when I I talked about this a little bit online and uh, Derek Robertson actually photoshopped Spider Jerusalem's tattoos and glasses onto once and Honeydew for me, uh, because apparently Derek loves the Muppets. Um, but uh, somebody else, one of the other people who's like a reader of Transmet, pointed out to me that like, well, the sex puppets are here, so it's not exactly two entirely distinct properties. Um, <laughs> well, it's good wor-
0: world building, uh, and uh, yeah. there's there's um, some good um, panels that have that that uh, when we in the first issue, uh, yeah. Go over once we get there, but yeah, that's yeah. it's a good world-building thing because those are one of those background characters that just kind of keep on showing up. Yeah, here. Yeah, and there's and never there. a plot about nope. sex puppets. No, nope. but we do see like they are geared toward children, maybe.
1: I think I think yes, because I think in in the world merch, of tra- in the world of transmet, is. yeah, in the world of transmet, I think that that's like the 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 it's it's interesting because like the the uh taboo around like vanilla homo or heterosexual sex seems to have evaporated but we still there's still a lot of talk about like there's still like one of the things that i think people who are like trans or lgbt in general don't would not necessarily think is super progressive about this book is that like kink is still very much depicted as like zany and wild and salacious In a way that, like, I don't know that it will be by the time we get all of the rest of the stuff that exists in Transmet. Um, And because I think that, like, kink is being normalized at a rate faster than a lot of the other things that are normal by this point in Transmet. Um, And again, like, maybe that's just my worldview. uh, And it's certainly not, like, I don't think it's a thing that people would attack it for. But I do think, like, when you look at the way they talk about sex in this book, it's really interesting because I feel like a lot of it is, like, they were projecting based on the 90s mm-hmm. basically and the early 2000s projecting like okay what's going to be like 20 to 50 years from now but you're still using like today's value systems to try to project out which means it's going to be not
0: exactly on you know I you know now that you are talking about it I can see that perspective mm-hmm. I actually didn't take it that way and Obviously, this this issue yeah. does not even touch upon this at no, all. No, not at all. It's, 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 so this is really just so a much, conversation it, for when it comes up, right? But, when it comes up, but it's a thing that just strikes me. No, when, and when I think
1: about the sex puppets, like that's the thing I think of is like, huh? It's funny how like in two or three issues we start talking about like literally next yeah. issue there's there's a lot of talk about sex workers because like they're a part of the plot, right? Uh, um, not next issue, issue three. Okay, yeah,
0: uh, issue three. But that's the thing. Like I always took it as more normalized. Mm-hmm. With the exception of a few issues here and there. Mm-hmm. But it, it just seemed more normalized than not. I mean, I do see what you're saying, and you're right. There are There's definitely a taboo surrounding it to mm-hmm. certain social groups think, within the world. I think less of it is that it's taboo, and more of it is that it's played for
1: laughs and considered to be like wildly, like, it's next level. When the whole world is kind of next level, and so I don't think that it would be that anymore but, but and, again and
0: that's, that's the thing like i want is it or is that just us projecting on that and yeah. that's the question but that's but that's what you're going to get on a dystopian yeah. far future yeah. book yeah
1: and again like we're, it, it's yeah. it's a thing where you're trying to project out okay what's what are things going to be like 50 years from now based yes. on what's currently going on and there's there's a lot of things that transmit gets very very right and then there's some things that transmit like is way off the mark because like of the way that society has broken down
0: there are some great random th- things and i don't want to talk about it now until mm-hmm. we get to there but there are some great things about the future that they remark on to kind of help combat that
1: yeah well and actually that one of the things that my very next note is the idea of journalist insurance mm-hmm. which like in this book it's, it's basically established that the freedom of speech is contingent on you having money like you can't be a reporter without having journalist insurance. Which is—it's a throwaway line here, but one, given the nature of journalism right now, doesn't seem nearly
0: as funny anymore. Um, And and to to be fair, too, they don't explain this concept until yeah, it it comes way way far.
1: I mean, but if you're a reporter, you read that and you know what it means. Yes. Um, but but yeah, it, that's the other that's the other thing I was going to say is that one it doesn't seem as dystopian anymore. It no. seems very much like something that the current administration would want to put into place to to show that only good and the the biggest of all possible air quotes there around good, but that that good reporters uh, are uh, are the only ones allowed to, to do to to actually report the news
0: or, or at least. Authorized. Yeah, exactly. Of course, it doesn't tell you who's authorized, who isn't, but who's authorized. Um, Um, Go. So off that scene. So uh, Spider says mm -hmm. that in in, while walking through the city, making observations. Yeah. Some of the panels that you see, because it is just him walking through the city and his observations. He makes some remarks that are, what a casual well. In his case is not really a casual observer Mm -hmm. but what an observer would make a remark just about looking at a city that you are used to but as a reader there are some things that he says that are again very
1: exposition exposition
0: that is important for the world that you may not get and one of the big things that struck me was um, Mongolian throat singers stop to sing a few bars Mm -hmm. feed site listeners stop To collect a few precious moments for their listeners. And that's one of those things that, in the context of what he's saying, it makes sense because you Mm -hmm. see the visual thing. But in the context of our world now, Mm -hmm. that's a real thing that people do. They basically record their experience. yeah. Yeah, and that's really what it is. It's people are recording their experiences. Posting it on social media, YouTube, Twitter, yeah. Instagram, Snapchat, and giving it to so other people can share it. Right. That it's it's a thing that TransMet did in the late nineties, mm. early two thousands that we do on a daily basis. Right. Everybody does this. Yeah. It is not a unique thing anymore. No. And, and it's how we consume things and especially in the context of what he was seeing. Mm. It was this unique thing that most people aren't going to be able to do and at least in the context of the book and the world it's probably a a more specialized ancient thing that you won't see very
1: often unless you go to the reservation
0: right which is also a thing in that same panel he talks about and goes chinese dissident uh dissidents escaped their reservation and Mm -hmm. are kissing their way to freedom
1: yeah which i remember reading the book the first time and like in the context of Transmetropolitan, the reservations are a major plot point around issue 15 i want to say yeah um and so i won't get into exactly what they are but like in the context of transmet i first read that and i thought that like doesn't china had been con- yeah. like conquered and f- that that People who wanted to live in a traditional way or whatever had been f- essentially forced onto yeah. the reservation, which in 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 a sense is kind of true, but not it's in a military right. It's, it's more a, voluntary. In a, in a there's one culture in the whole world and everybody eats Big Macs now kind of way. Right. Um. And it's all but, voluntary. Yeah, it's, it's, and everything's voluntary. Right. right. Everything's. Um. But again, we'll get into the, the But I I just I remember thinking that the idea of a Chinese. Um, Reservation. Reservation was yeah. far more insidious sounding in the first issue than when we find out what the reservations are. They're actually like something really remarkable.
0: Yes. Yes. And I, and I completely agree with you. Uh, and again, it's just, it goes to show you all these concepts that are, again, important for the world that, unless you're paying attention, it's really easy to gloss <laughs> yeah. over. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of the things that, that I both love about the book. But it's one of those things that, as a new reader, I'm so interested in their somebody's take yeah. on that. Like, I want to ask people, like, "Hey, you read this? What did you th- like? Did you understand? Did you,
1: yeah, did you think about this line at all, yeah, or was or it just, just a wall of noise? Because I think for me, a lot of it, as a as a younger reader, and again, I was like in my teens and early twenties when I first read me this, too. and so. Um, but like, I think as a younger reader, a lot of it was just like. It was a wall of white noise. It was like cyberpunk, 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 cyber and so like it, it was like that thing of like I understood the general feeling that it was trying to convey, but I didn't think about the specifics of a lot of these things until later, because my first instinct was just like, well, that's a thing that doesn't make sense, but like it probably makes sense in the context of the world we're
0: looking at. I got and I can say for the most part, I got a lot of it mm-hmm. at the time. Now, I also got a lot of preface to this because right. you introduced this to me, and I, you, yeah, you by explained... the time I started selling it to people, it was like three arcs in, yeah. and I started being like, no but. And, and you yeah. explained it very well, so I got a lot of it, but there is, and we will bring it up mm-hmm. when it happens, but there is a one line, even to this day, mm-hmm. that is difficult to understand when you read it. It makes you In no, this first issue, or in... Nope, oh. it, is, uh, it is the arguably the best issue in the, in the entire series, and it truly makes no sense. <laughs> I finally got it, yeah. but it makes no sense. Um,
1: so jumping off of the thing I said, by the yeah. way, about the journalist insurance, uh, uh, there's actually like, when he's talking to Royce, and again, the Royce's office is full of cute little Easter eggs. Yep. He's got a cigarette case that's labeled stress managers. Um... But uh, the the idea that is presented here, uh, and again, like Spider, we've talked about how he kind of physically looks like Alan Moore in this first issue, and then by the end he kind of physically looks like uh, Grant Morrison, who are like visionary comic book writers that everybody in the comics industry knows, but nobody else would really get those references. Um, but I don't know if he was ever intended to actually look like Morrison, or if it's just that Morrison looks enough like Hunter Thompson uh, that people take that away from it because of the Alan Moore parallel Um, certainly uh, Hunter Thompson the writer of Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas is the guy who this is like principally based on like he's he's the founder of what they call gonzo journalism which is like the self-immersion journalism Uh, he's the guy who like when he wrote the obituary for Nixon the last line was Nixon shat in the heart of the American dream Um, and I believe there's something in Transmet somewhere where somebody shits in their heart um, not not actually does it but that's a phrase um, but so like Hunter Thompson was very much the inspiration for Spider Jerusalem uh, and there are other influences who come in along the way actually uh, at one point Warren Ellis told a group of people at New York Comic Con that uh, Greg Palast was part of the inspiration Greg is an investigative journalist who works for the BBC and a bunch of other places now who Zach Roberts and I actually have worked with in the past uh, and so I remember being super excited Somebody asked him, like, because they were like, you're so deeply cynical. Is there anybody you do trust? And he said, I trust Greg Palast. And nobody in the room who knew who that was, but Zach and I were like, ah! (laughs) Um, uh, But so, like, but principally, it's Hunter Thompson. And so this idea of, uh, as a celebrity journalist, he couldn't get at the truth anymore. Like, that that was the thing. Like, that's what really drove him away from the city. Is that like he couldn't do what he does because once people started recognizing him and wanting his autograph, and once sources wanted to be like they wanted to have fun and be part of the fucking fear and loathing story, um, he wasn't getting reality anymore. He was, it, you know, it was, it basically was a reality show. And so he, like, the, to me, there's something really interesting about looking at this book now, 20 years later, as more and more of the media has transformed into celebrity culture, and as like. Access has become one of the biggest things in journalism. Like I'll say for myself, uh, the company I work for, I work for ComicBook.com, is my day job, and and like I've been there for ten years. When I first came on board, nobody knew who we were. It was really difficult to get anything. Now we're a big site. CBS recently purchased us. It's easy for me to get most like interviews and access and things. Uh, It doesn't necessarily make our content better. Uh, because like now people very much want to shape the narrative and want to say like oh this is what you should write because now that you're big enough for us to give a shit what you're writing they don't want you to get at like an angle that they don't that isn't convenient for them
0: it's the age-old problem that games journalism has that you're talking about access so this is a, a systemic problem in games video game journalism yeah video game journalists Rely. I mean, their their business model is truly relied on early access. They require the companies and publishers right. to give them the content before it comes out so they can review it. And
1: this is even more, I would say,
0: than most
1: other entertainment yes. fields. Because, like, obviously in my field, like, it it's good when I can get a TV show or a movie or a comic early. But those things all take four hours tops to work your way through and yeah. so like end of the day if i don't get them early i can watch it early in the morning or whatever and then get something up by the yes. night yes and video games, video games you that cannot... have 200 hour playthrough right,
0: right. Uh, yeah. uh, even even the shortest ones usually have about 8 hours so it, it, they they truly do rely on it mm-hmm. and you're also grading them as part of your review like you are giving them a grade to say right. yes this is good buy this no no this is not very good don't buy this mm-hmm. so to continue to get early access it creates this incentive for games journalists to not trash games that are bad right because if they do all the publisher has to do is say no we're not giving you your or your company game early access to our games anymore because you're not giving us favorable reviews right is that unethical absolutely but they're also the ones with the power they what? have the access, and they're deciding who gets it. Mm-hmm. They don't. I mean, famous. The most famous one right now is World of Warcraft Three Reimagined or Reforged. I think it's called yeah. Reforged. Is what it's called. No video game company or video game journalist has given it a bad grade when it is truly atrocious. The original game is amazing, and that's what they keep. They always yeah, refer to, essentially refer. They refer re- to the original, the original game, game because it's just a not big issue. reforged. Yeah. And Reforged is terrible. And and if anybody's interested in this, there are tons of media outlets, YouTubers, that are commenting on this. Mm -hmm. And I I encourage you to go to it because it it truly, truly shows what we're talking about with access. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, and again, access is like a thing in any, like any media, like, well, for any media, really. But especially when you get to the national media where it's like, no, like, it, it is important for me to do my job that I be able to talk with, like, a presidential candidate or a like even a, a game developer or a filmmaker or something and it's like yeah like they like one of the things that we try to do at comic book because like we foresee these problems and we don't want to be like dragged into it is we try to remove as far as we can the reviews and the news so it's like we don't have a lot of there's not a lot of overlap where reporters covering a thing are also reviewing that thing because like then it's like you say something shitty in a review and your next interview is very hostile and the person doesn't want to talk to you or the person wants to give you crap or whatever. Like, at least if you're putting up that wall of like, no, like there's editorial and then there's news, then like the two like most people can understand that like the reporter is not like necessarily tainted by the fact that like you got a bad review on your comic. And so like it, it, it helps us to be able to like not have to soften things while still like being able to talk to people but again like the games thing is a little bit different because like the, yeah. the there's a lot of reasons it's different not least of all is the scope of it and the need for early access versus just access access yeah. but yeah that I think that like one of the things that they say in this issue that is like really interesting is this idea that like once he got famous he couldn't get at the truth anymore and I think you see this with a guy like Michael Moore too where, like, he got famous off of Roger and Me, and it took him a long while before he really did another remarkable film, and it was Bowling for Columbine. And during the downtime, a big problem he had is that he was Michael Moore, and, like, even if regular, everyday people didn't recognize him on the street, corporate America knew who he was, and they didn't want him around. And so, like, he couldn't do another Roger and Me because, like he would walk into somebody's lobby and be escorted out by the police um you know and and the reason that he was eventually able to do something really interesting with bowling for columbine is because he it didn't require him to like go to a place and deal with a company and their access wasn't a feature of that film really other than a couple of high-profile interviews which by the time he got them the movie was basically done i think and so, it, like, to me, I, I think it's interesting to track that because I do think that celebrity journalists have a really difficult road to hoe, and that certainly isn't to say that I sympathize with them especially because as a reporter, I, I look at a lot of the shit people do for access and I want to punch them. But, like, it, it it is a balancing act, like, trying to be that guy who everybody recognizes and still do anything that's worth a damn in terms of, like, actual news. Um... Uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about the the makers already, which is the next thing in my notes. Um, I, I do like the fact that when he's... So, not only is there a maker, but his maker is driven by AI, and the AI in this instance is on drugs. Uh, like, there's a machine hallucinogen. There are drugs specifically designed for AI. Uh, and so his his maker is on drugs. I don't know why the maker can't just make its own drugs... Uh, because he it's when he never, unplugs it, it gets sad.
0: Yeah, it's never um, explained. Maybe but, it's
1: in the programming. Yeah, but, but but
0: then again, it doesn't need to be.
1: Yeah, done it done. doesn't really. But in any event, so his maker's on drugs, and so when it provides him with first of all, when he tries to shower and clean himself off, that's when it zaps him into into total baldness, uh, which again was is, is like com- comedy, but also like now he looks the way that he looks
0: for the rest of the book. Um, oh, and kind of going off that he. Part of his deal as a as a newly new job as a journalist yeah. with the word, he gets a staff apartment. He yeah. gets some money. He gets this maker with a base block. But his apartment is not great. No, and he, and it's he makes a really a,
1: crappy part of town. Right,
0: and he like. makes a comment on it specifically as to how poor the area is. Yeah. What you know, what he's got and what works, and yeah. and you get very quickly like. Yeah, things don't work here. Yeah,
1: and it's also funny because the maker um, the maker becomes very quickly... I think in, like, issue, issue three or four, there's a reference to, like... The maker itself is a status symbol. But even beyond that, like, not everybody with a maker is rich. Right. It's kind of like in the late 90s when this book was being conceived, it was probably, like, basically computers. Because it's like, if you had, like, a decent computer... Most people would have would have thought like, oh wow, that person's got money. But at the same time, like there were a lot of shitty ones out there, and so you get this this narrative that like, well, there's some people who have a maker in a base block, and then there's people who have a maker, but they have to like go out in the streets and
0: collect garbage. It's actually issue one. It is this issue. Oh, isn't it, it? Yeah, it, okay. he he actually breaks it down like, yeah, you know, it's a poor neighborhood because there's litter because yeah. people don't have makers to make things because if you can make things, you don't. Have consumer uh, that's right, that's consumer right. goods, which means packaging, which means right, litter. Yeah. And if there's litter, that means you're not near a middle class area who have makers but because need to scavenge. collect ga- yeah, garbage yeah. to fuel their. Ma- yeah, like yeah. He, he breaks it. He. It's actually a really good way of breaking it down. Yeah. No, and, and it makes yeah. perfect sense. No, and it, it does. It's,
1: a, it's a great shorthand for how this like weird narrative device they introduce as like almost a joke. Yep. Um, it, it, like no, like that, and that's how it would work. Yeah. Like honestly, in a world where the maker exists, that's absolutely how it would work. Because it's exactly that. It yep. would be like no. The only places where there would be garbage on the streets would be the places where middle class
0: people don't feel safe going. Yep. Uh, so that they can go collect the trash. See, told you, makers were an important yeah. part of this world that he talks about for from pretty much the first. Yeah, Absolutely. having read the like yeah.
1: we read these, and I, I I started into issue two and I forgot that this was actually the end of issue
0: one. That I, yeah, that
1: yeah, it was um, yeah. Um, but any I, I also like the fact, and I, this is in my notes, that that he doesn't actually like even though he like takes away the drugs to like stop the maker from making wacky shit instead of what it's supposed to. Uh, he doesn't care enough to actually replace the sunglasses. Like, Spider's sunglasses, which is the iconic image of the comic. The thing that, like, people who don't know anything about this yep. comic, but have seen it before, you can be like, oh, the one where he's got those weird sunglasses, and oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, yeah that guy, yep. Um, and, and he doesn't care enough to, like, replace them when he's when he's done uh, taking the drugs away from them. He's just like, oh, fuck it,
0: sure, I'll wear the thing. I... I Don't take issue with the glasses because I I mean I love the glasses. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they do a great job in the slightest of explaining what those are. Uh, and to the point where I actually think there's and I think you know where I'm going with this. There's that one moment in the in the book much later mm. where he makes a reference of like this is what ah this is what I've done. Yeah. I think that was honestly put in because they never explained what those they, things they never really do.
1: They I mean and he there never are, uses them. There are a yeah. few instances where he uses them for, like, basic news coverage. But like, I, I remember, often. I remember, like, there's a and I want to say, it's, it might be next issue, that he does the, like, he does glasses. Take uh, a take a take a picture every five seconds or some like something like that. It was like yeah, you
0: know. it's it's not. It's it's like yeah, issue four or five. And even there, it's it really is like offhanded lines. Yeah, it's really not. Yeah, considering the
1: cosmetic
0: importance of the glasses Exa- in the sense that
1: everybody how, recognizes them and how
0: iconic they yeah, are. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It, they don't do a great <laughs> job.
1: With, and and it is like part of it too is that now that we've progressed twenty years. There are, like, there are glasses that you can buy that have, like, photo and video capacity. And, and those, by by and large, it's, like, the ones that already exist are already, like, nicer in terms of specs than the, spiders are. Yeah. Like, one of the things we, that in, in this, he says 2 gig, and I'm, like, I remember thinking at the time... The 2 gig is more than you'd ever need for a camera, yeah. uh, which is not at all true now. Nope. Um, and especially if, if you were going to get video, which I think implies that there's only photo capacity and not video on the glasses. Right. Uh, which then, like, well, now we have photo. Like, we have glasses like, that can take video. You know, Why would we need, yeah. you know? <laughs> um, so, like, yeah, I do think that, like, it's it's a, it's one of those things that was, like, a cool idea, and it's something that, like, if you are, like, if you're coming up with a near-future dystopia, where everything's techno, and your main character's a journalist, he has to have glasses that'll take pictures
0: for him. Because,
1: yeah. like, that's a thing he would have. Well,
0: no, and if you don't, then you have you need another character that's a photographer. Like, yeah. this way it literally eliminates having to have a whole other character dedicated to just a silent picture taker. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so um. so I understand why they did it, and I... I mean, again, it's, they're iconic. It, I really just wish they had explained it a little bit better... Because they really don't give you an explanation until, honestly, halfway through the series.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, there is at least once that it like comes into real plot
0: relevance, but it's rare. even then, it is it's such an offhanded thing that is easily glossed over. Yeah, that I think most people wouldn't get. Yeah. Well, maybe um,
1: again, another uh, just uh, and 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 so we get to the end of the book, and yep. he's he's. As we said, he he goes and he, he basically tells his his uh, computers and his office equipment like cycle through the video it's like cycle through the news feeds, which is basically RSS feeds of news, yep. uh, except they get read to you, kind of like the radio, and cycle through the TV news and like change every thirty seconds unless I tell you to stop and like blah 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 blah, and so you get all these clips of little things, which again are almost all things that will come back later and be part of actual stories, whether or not they're really relevant or if it's just, like, something that happens. Uh, But it speaks to how much world-building there is going on in this first issue. Um, The thing that he eventually stops on is uh, there's a protest about transient rights. And transients are people who are transitioning to becoming aliens. Which Which is not actually explained until issue two. Right, but I'm just going to give a but little yeah. bit of background because uh, I, I want to talk about this while I'm thinking about it. Okay. Um, just because, like, one of the one of the things, um, one of the things that does come up in this this last issue is, or in this first issue, excuse me, is that there's a line in the news coverage that I find really important that I think most people wouldn't think about. Um, you know, when you look at the, tr- the story of the transients, uh, who are again, like they're being biologically and surgically transformed from human into extraterrestrial beings. Uh, it basically the grays of like X Files fame. Uh, and, and later on, we get the explanation for like how they came to be here and why people are transitioning and blah, blah, blah. Which well, we'll, we'll get into that next time. Yeah, in, in next issue. Um, yep. But uh, the. The thing is, I think a lot of people look at it now and immediately are like, "Oh, this is a transgender thing," and I don't think that it is. First of all, because that wasn't as much a piece of our cultural conversation back then as it is now. I
0: think, ultimately, yes, I think you are right. I don't think that's what its intention was. Right, back right, then. right. I think it it is definitely an allegory that you we can can apply can we it, apply now, it to... or at least in some in some uh, ways. Absolutely, but I absolutely um, do not think it was intended yeah. as especially this first story arc mm-hmm. which does deal with transience is doesn't get as in-depth as some of the later mm-hmm. brushes against transience yeah. that the book deals with but some of the later things that they talk about in regard to yeah. transience absolutely does help with the allegory yeah. Um, yeah. So
1: I do think it is an apt. I do. I think it's. I think it's apt. And I also. I feel yeah. like probably at some. Like probably part of the reason that the later stuff more is a little bit more on the new nose is because probably the first couple issues came out and people said to Warren Ellis like, "Is this what you were doing?" And whether or not it was in the back of his head then, he right. probably made sure to make it work better next time because a lot of the stuff in the early going, like because of the fact that they they have like a militant street gang. Comp- component yes, on some level, they do. which we see. Actually, it's funny. We see them mostly as being militant in the news report in this issue, yes. and we don't really like. That's not how they come out next time, which no. is partly, I think, a commentary on the media, and partly just because. And it
0: does play into the larger context of how they are used in the story. Of yes, yes, yes.
1: Um, so, but in any event, don't want to get too no, far into no, no, that. Yeah. The thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, that as as easy as it is to make comparisons to uh, transgender people, I would actually say that one of the things that these guys have is, like, the sovereign citizen, like, hardcore libertarian streak. Like, you have these people who want to, like, say, because of X, the laws don't apply to me, and I, like, like, they, they essentially take over a block of the city and are insisting that people bring them the things that they need to survive because the uh, alien bodies have different needs than the human bodies. And to me this feels like the the occupation at the like wildlife refuge a couple of years ago where they didn't want to pay taxes and so it's like no we're just going to take over this fucking place and and try to force you guys to and and so to me it's like it's funny because like the way that he talks the way that like the spokesperson talks about how like we're just going to like we're gonna take over this place, and we're not gonna let let it go until we're ready to like go off world and leave our and leave you fuckers behind. Like it it reads to me less like transgender and more like a radical movement that's akin to like the sovereign citizen movement, where they're just like, well, no, your rules don't apply to me because I've decided that I'm not actually American.
0: So I know in the con, I mean, in I think this is gonna be more apt in. This, our second issue yeah, breakdown. Yeah. I think, on some level, not its full level, mm-hmm. one of the things he might have been going for in the larger context of transience was actually transcendence. Uh, because. Yeah, like transcendental. Uh, like... Uh, right. Because of what they were changing into, right. which was the Greys or aliens. Yeah. And. He, t- I'm pretty sure he talks about it in this first issue. He may not. He may, the maybe the this- people. No, no uh, I was going to say sovereign rights of a- the alien colony. Yeah, and I can't remember if it's the first issue that, or the second it's issue. Just, it's the first one because that's what I was kind of getting okay. at. Um, um and that's and and that's I think what he was going to in that. Well, we've decided to become alien. It's been ruled that aliens have sovereign rights. Well, right. we want to transcend. Humanity to become alien, so therefore we have these rights, but we're not quite there yet. We're we're in the middle. We're transitioning to that, and that's the thing. You owe us this, even though we're not there yet. We're we're trying to be that, right? And And that's and
1: and and so you get to this thing where like there's protections in place for the aliens, and there's protections in place for regular people who are citizens. There's no protections in place for the transients because, like, they're stuck in, a, in like, halfway right. in between, and, like, there's a huge amount of discrimination against them because people don't understand what it is that they're doing or what they're going through. They're people without a country. Yeah.
0: And there are some great lines about that whole thing in, in, in the next is, issue. Yeah, yeah, there really are, that really put all this in yeah. context.
1: Yeah, and that I, I think next issue we're going to have a lot more to talk about in terms of that, but I, yes. just, I wanted to put the sovereign citizen kind of idea out there because to me like in this first issue especially it plays less like transgender or and it plays more like um a libertarian
0: movement um i wouldn't necessarily at least for me from my perspective i wouldn't necessarily say libertarian movement but definitely definitely switching of some sort of ideals be Mm -hmm. it political be it nationality be it Gender identification, whatever you want to assign to it, mm-hmm. I d- it's definitely a change, and the um, forgotten nature of that transition of like, well, I mean, I'm in between. I'm yeah. going through the process of moving from my former ideal to my new ideal, and how you're just forgotten, and you're yeah. literally like, I have no support when in yeah. context of of services and support. I right. did if I had stayed where I was, I would have. When right. I get to my point i I do yeah but right now I have
1: nothing and you 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 can apply that to a lot of things oh, yes, obviously absolutely. Like, absolutely. I, and that's part of the reason I think that you it's the classic trope of like using a science fiction thing to approach this kind of theme because then you can like you can apply it to a bunch of different things and you can also kind of force people like you can you can say oh well this is about religious freedom because blah 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 and like it's it's about people who are like They're losing the community of being Christian because they've decided to become Muslim or whatever. And then, like, once people accept, like, oh, yeah, well, in that case, I sympathize with the transients, you're like, yeah, but it equally applies to, like, transgender people, or it equally applies to, you know, insert here. And, like, that's part of the value of sci-fi, is that, like, when you use metaphors for these things, you can kind of force people to be like, oh, no, I'm on board, and then realize, like, okay, but... This is what you're actually it's, saying. You're on board with.
0: It's applicable yeah. to in a much wider context. Yeah, exactly. How you are seeing it. Yeah. yeah. And so, like,
1: and, and again, we'll get into a lot more of that next time. But, yeah. but it is. It's. I wanted to kind of touch on the fact that, like, this is like a lot of the time when people I see now discussing this transience is treated as kind of a one to one with transgender in the same way that, like, uh, Brian Singer's X Men is treated as a one to one with homosexuality. And I don't think that either of those is really true. No. I think that both of them are broader and different than that, and especially in this first issue, that's not the sense that I get at all um, from the transient movement, no, because it, like, it's depicted in such a way here that it's very different than even what we get next next time. Right,
0: and you do... It's important to put it in the context of when it was created. Yeah. Early... or I'm sorry, late nineteen
1: nineties. Yeah, I think this I think it, I should have had this right at hand. I think it was ninety seven is when
0: it started. Yeah. Late nineteen nineties to the early two thousands. And again, we're not saying that this can't be applicable to transgender. It absolutely can be and, yeah. it, and I think it should be. It's, but it's not the, but it's not the one to one that a lot of people discuss to, right. it as because absolutely. right now the
1: like Part of it, I think, is just the verbiage. Like, yes. the fact that trans is trans, yeah. um, and so when you say transient, people immediately, like, look at it, and they're like, oh, trans. Right. Yeah. Well, and full disclosure, we are going to talk about it in, in the context, too. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're,
0: we're just telling you there is also a broader yeah. context here. Too.
1: And I do think, too, yeah. that, like, one of the things that you see in here is, like, obviously a lot of, like, any techie, like, future is going to have body modification as, key, as a part of its yes. thing. And body modification in this case is treated as something that can have unforeseen consequences and something that is you get discriminated against for or whatever. Um, we get a different take on it about a year into the book. I want to say like issue ten or eleven. Um, I'm I'm probably wrong, but I'm just ballparking it. Um, about a year into the book, we get a different take on it in a different. It's very very different than this, but it's. It, to me, it's it's an equally kind of, it's an equally valid and interesting look at like that idea of of body modification, uh, and it's just as sci-fi, but it's played completely different than this. And I think it's interesting that we talked so much about Spider's physical transma- transformation going along with his mental transformation, and that's a theme we're gonna get a lot over the course of the book. Yep. But also, and like later on, we get other characters who like transform who like there's 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 one character who has a an arc where between issue two and issue thirty seven or so has a total physical and ideological transformation. Yep. And so like this is not a thing that's gonna go away after the transi- the transient arc. Um nope. And so it, it I think No
0: and really the themes that are introduced in this first issue mm-hmm. l- are literally sustain the book. Yeah. L- like, literally sustain the book. And the funny thing about it is there are themes that literally only get touched upon. Yeah. Politics is... as actually the big one. Politics literally only gets talked about by the whorehopper. Yeah. And, uh, like, it and, gets and referenced you, by like, a and, shot in the face Yeah, a reference, like that, but... but yeah. never directly talked about. That's a huge thing that happens in this, in this yeah. book. But again...
1: Yeah, I there's, there's first I mean, first of all, the the title of our podcast, "Year of the Bastard," is is volume. I want to say two, either two or three of the no, of the trade paperbacks. Um, and I think um, it's actually four. Oh, is it? I but it's think. it's it's a chunk of the book that is completely defined by politics. Yeah. And and there is a. I think that probably the political stuff is a lot of what Transmit is best known for. Um and you know nowadays we go into an election cycle and whoever you don't like immediately gets compared to the smiler or the beast yeah um and and the nice thing is they are caricatures and so they're broadly drawn and you can can, make those yeah it's like it's like the smiler the smiler and the beast are like the beast is nixon like he's nixon physically he's nixon ideologically he's nixon um now of course he looks like trump because trump is just nixon on steroids um, but the Smiler doesn't have a one-to-one uh, par- parallel. No. And so, like, at the time, I remember, like, I remember going through the 2000 election and thinking that, like, the Beast and the Smiler were Bush and Gore. Or, you know, and, and mm. now I see a, a lot of people where it's, like, the Beast and the Smiler are, uh, like, the Smiler especially gets applied all over the place because it's the guy who's, like, trying to be your friend and he's, like... But, like, uh, the, I've seen at least a half dozen people Put the Smiler up next to Pete Buttigieg, um,
0: and and I can see that.
1: somebody actually was like. Well, and the thing
0: too is, I mean, we'll get into more of that when we actually get to his yeah, exactly. story arc. I mean, we are really going way far out yeah. there. That we that we're we're talking about characters that hasn't haven't even existed yeah, exactly.
1: yet in this. So that this I think is, the Beast does get name dropped in this one. I can't remember for sure if it's this one or the beginning of the next one.
0: But uh, yeah, I can't. Remember. There. But, 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 but again, like, even even in that
1: context, about. like I think that when they say the beast, they don't clarify they mean the president. No, they don't. And so, like no, the first time you hear the, they're beast, really just...
0: honestly, that, both of those are really not talked yeah. about until the next story arc.
1: Yeah, that's and again, like I, I part of it honestly is that read most this of
0: the whole thing again. Yeah, I know. Oh, no. I, am. I and then I'm gonna then I'm gonna go back into visual issues for the podcast. Yeah, Yeah, I'm like, because no. already I'm like, yeah, I'm just gonna finish the the, the, yeah. the graphic novel.
1: That's that's also the like one of the nice things about having it digitally is that I can it's easier for me to put it down when I'm done with an issue because it'll remind me where I was. If I if you have nothing but the trade paperback in your hand, it's like oh I'm just gonna keep going.
0: That's that's and that's why I have to do it at like issue breaks too. Yeah. Is because I can't just kind of stop in the middle. Like I have to stop at the issue breaks, but it's not always yeah. easy to tell where that issue break is. And
1: that's another nice my my digital trade
0: does it has the cover. Yeah. of The issue. Well, so,
1: so, even though they aren't numbered. It's like, in these first few issues, when you're one, two, three, four, it's like, no, I've seen this cover 400 times. Well,
0: and in the first printing, they don't actually have the original covers.
1: No, I think it's like, aren't they printed in like a grid on the back or something? No, or something? they don't oh, even okay. have
0: that. So, like, literally, <laughs> the only reason I know it's the end of the issue is they have the... The little smiling face. The, the tr- yeah, yeah, the, the uh, triple-eyed smiling face. Yeah.
1: But yeah, thanks for listening to Year of the Bastard. Uh, this is an Emerald City
0: video podcast. But, uh, well, thank you for for doing this because I this is in my opinion uh, my the best comic book I've ever read. Uh, I love this comic yeah, book. It's
1: certainly up there. I always tell pe- people that my favorite comic of all time is uh, is Strangers in Paradise. Uh, but this is this, this is, is truly top mine. three.
0: Uh, absolutely, this is truly mine. Yeah. Uh, and if if you are if you've just randomly found this or uh, and have never read Transmet, I encourage you to read it. Or if you haven't read it in a long time, go back and read it with us, yeah. because this is the year you're going to find a lot of strange parallels, and keep in mind, this book was literally written in the 1990s.
1: Yeah, this is this is a book that has continued, and like just, I said, I alluded to it a little bit, that like, every election year, somebody is like, oh my god, he's the smiler! Uh, because this is just, this is a book that's written as allegories, and the allegories continue to persist, and they, it really is as relevant now as it was the, the day it
0: was... The, re- the relevance
1: is scary. The relevance is truly scary. Uh, and especially when you talk
0: about getting fucked with switchbl-
1: Switchblades. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. there's going to be some interesting Because that's voting. <laughs> uh, I got told to take that off my voicemail, but my mom... Oh, I had that as my voicemail for the longest time. And my it. mom told me, um, Please stop. Okay. <laughs>
1: That, One of my very first interactions with Derek was that I reached out to Derek and Warren, and I got permission to reprint that as a full-page public service announcement the year of the 2000 election in the OCC student paper. That's awesome. Uh, what was their response? They, it was like it was, it was, was literally can, just like it, it was a canned response. Yeah, it, it wasn't even a canned. It was just literally like, oh yeah, that's a absolutely go ahead. Kind of like it, it wasn't even like a you real really want to do that? Sure. Yeah. Exactly. I'm sure that they probably didn't think that because they probably don't technically have the right to let me reprint stuff without DC weighing in. But I'm sure they were like, "Somebody's gonna stop him." That's fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> nope, not
0: at a community college. Yeah,
1: exactly. Small school. Two of us in the two of us in the editorial office. Nope. Logan, do you have other places that people can go and? and uh, enjoy your stuff besides the Emerald City video podcast? No, just
0: the Emerald City video podcast. I mean, I have an ancient YouTube show called Cave Dwellers, if you can find it. Um, probably not. It's Cave Dwellers. Yes, Cave Dwellers. But uh, other than that, no. Uh, I mean, you usually can find me doing stuff with Russ uh, on the ECB, and you'll see me more on this. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, yeah, for me, you can follow me at Russ Burlingame. R-U-S-S-B-U-R-L-I-N-G-A-M-E. That's really long, and I'm not going to repeat it, so... Emerald City Video Podcast is ecv underscore podcast or emeraldcityvideo.net uh, from either one of those two places you can find everything you need to follow me and my merry adventures across every place else uh, if you listen to to this show and get depressed about the state of the world you can go to com, and that's where I'll be talking about the Muppets for the next at least year probably so thanks very much for listening and uh Everybody, go out there, hug a cat,
0: enjoy the year of the bastard.